Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What's going is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I want to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you know? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. Come down to Anfield, and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you Johnny man? Well, we had Arsenal against Manchester City, first against second in the Premier League yesterday. And Nathan Ake's noggin has ensured that we will have a Premier League title race alive all the way through to Halloween this year. Something we should all be very, very thankful for. It's your Monday Second Happens Football Podcast. Hello there, Ken. Hello, Karen. How are you? I'm pretty good. I mean, phew, it was an intriguing tactical affair yesterday, Ken, wasn't it? Which is, of course, code for... Yes. You know. It was... <laughs> um, uh, I'm glad to say, Kieran, the, the numbers support your hypothesis. It was the lowest uh, combined XG in any Arsenal game since October 2020. Wow. Less than a goal between them in expected terms. Uh, Less than a goal between them. 0.4 for Arsenal, 0.5 for Man City. Wow. But in the only statistic that matters, <laughs> it was Martinelli scoring a goal. In, in the end, a great win for Arsenal, who who started the game without Saka. I mean, the front line was in Kedia, Jesus, and Trossard, which is not you know what you necessarily want going into one the game. third of what you want, effectively. Yeah, um, and without Saka in particular, because because it's, they're never without Saka. Yeah, um, and he is so good. You wondered if they'd be able to create much, and the answer was actually no, until Thomas Partey just booted one into the box. Hey, has anyone tried this? <laughs> hey. It's literally the last option we have left. What about if I lash one into the box and someone knocks it down? Yeah. You know, and, and get, City... Launch a diag, get on a second ball. Yeah. Diag- close your eyes, hit it as hard as you can, and yeah. it might deflect off someone's arse or head. Yeah, well, that's exactly what happened. Uh, knocked down by big Tommy Asu, mm. lay off by Havertz, and then uh, deflected Frank Lampard goal by... Gabriel Martinelli. That seems a little. That was a drive-by, Ken. Well, it is. I mean, you know, it's a skill. You know, scoring those, scoring those goals is a skill. You know, it's a skill that people are trying to eradicate from the game. Mm. 
by telling defenders to actually not try and block those shots because you you score it's the goal. deflection that's going to yeah. beat the keeper the deflection, the, is, the, yeah. the deflection is worse than the shot yeah and th- that's I think what Ant, uh, Andy Robin- Robinson Andy Robinson Andy Robinson was a former England rugby union head coach Ken I know that a yeah. lot of people are getting excited about rugby I mean, I'm surprised you've gone all the way back to Clive Woodward the successor to Clive Woodward yeah. as England head coach no I, I of course meant to refer to Andrew Robertson mm-hmm. the uh, Liverpool player who appeared to be putting this into practice against <laughs> Brighton by do- like dodging it not go- not going for a ball that matrixing it- his way out of the way of a cross yeah and which actually ultimately led to their goal because when there's a of opponents behind you, you probably just need to try and get something on the ball. But um, yeah, in this case, it was uh, Ake couldn't get his face out of the way. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that was the win. And uh, yeah, I think it's a great result for the league for the title league. race. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, I mean, know. if City lost their next four games, then I'd still say that Man City would win the league. I mean, City are still favourites, obviously. Yeah. But, uh, you know, this has been a really bad run ever since Rodri got injured. They've, you mm. know, lost three in a row. So We may have stumbled well, upon they, a they solution. Have, they, mean, haven't, they haven't lost three in a row. They, they obviously yeah. beat Leipzig, but Rodri, yeah. Rodri played in that one. Three domestic games in a row, including the Carabao Cup defeat against Newcastle. Hmm. Uh, so maybe, you know, as a league, we've stumbled upon a possible solution to this Man City endless dominance. We finally found the one guy they can't do without. Yeah. Uh, it's an international week this week. Ireland play Greece at home this Friday night, followed up by Gibraltar on Monday evening. And we'll be covering all that on the World Service. But don't worry, we also do other non-depressing stuff as well. So why not join us now on the World Service for just five euro a month plus VAT. We'll hear from Larry Sivertson and Jonathan Wilson in just a few minutes. But first, let's report on some sport. Well, there's only one place to begin today. <laughs> you start the show with this a lot, where uh, then me and Owen say something and you're like, no, absolutely incorrect. Well, it's with the call-up of Sammy Smotix. Yeah, good. That's, the, uh, that is the only place to start. I probably do say that a lot. Don't I? Every time I say it, I'm like, oh, this will be good. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <clears throat> Please. Sammy Smotix of Blackburn has been called up for Ireland. Not for the first time. He was called up before for the Andorra. Remember, we beat Andorra. Yep. Played Hungary, which, of course... He's also got ancestry in that Central European country. Okay. Um, but he never played because he got injured and left the squad. Uh, so he's been, you know, kind of ripping it up um, in the championship and so to the extent that Blackburn, when he wasn't selected in the initial squad, had put something up on their Instagram, oh, looking for, looking for Sammy's name, like... He's not there, but he is. The, the Instagram story included a photograph of John Travolta trying to find the um, spe- the uh, speaker system in Pulp Fiction when he goes into Uma Thurman's house. You yeah. know, it's like the where is the button? <laughs> <laughs> Which I listen. I mean, we're getting shade from Blackburn. It's true. It's not great, but yeah. it, it was. It did at least have the advantage of being a little funny. The reason he's called up is that Aaron Connolly is injured. Um, but obviously, the the thing that immediately strikes me about it is, it's Modric's not Troy Parrott. Yeah, you know, I'm kind of I am wondering what's what's happening there now, mm. because Parrott's not injured. Uh, he has. I'm, I'm not saying I don't mean for a second to suggest that he's actually better than Smodics. In fact, the available evidence just is, suggests that no, he's not. Right. <laughs> this is this may very well be entirely deserved on merit and is in mm. fact the correct, you know, decision by saying I'm not even really criticizing the yeah. decision. It's more. The, the that the indication uh, of, of where Parrot's career is at at the he's moment. He's really yeah. kind of declined, evidently, in yeah. Stephen Kenny's estimation, because it's not as though he had any great body of work to back up 
the sort of is hype too much of a word? Mm. Um, definitely, Stephen Kenny talked a lot about his talent and his potential, and you know his what a big player he was going to be in the future. And now he doesn't even get called up as like the sixth striker. In fact, yeah. he's, smart, he's, he's kind of more of an attacking midfielder gets called up instead. He's not injured. He's been playing for Excelsior um, off the bench. Um, so I'm I'm a bit surprised and, and maybe we'll hear uh, more from Stephen King about that. Uh, of course, Parrot's first goals for Ireland came in that Andorra game that Smotics missed. Um, that When he yeah. was called up the previous time, he scored, wasn't it, two goals that day and that was Stephen King's first win. That's two summers ago now and uh, and a lot has uh, a lot has changed. Anyway, uh, it's not all Ireland news. Uh, there was also uh, some some good games. We're going to talk in a bit more depth about the Arsenal City and the Liverpool Brighton games with uh, Jonathan and Lars. Um, it's a pity that Owen isn't here today. Well, of course, it's, it's, a pity al- every it's, day. A, it's always a pity that he's not here. But today, I would want to. I, I would want his input on just what exactly what what process, what decision making process yeah. led to. Me turning on Premier Sports at five to three, you know, I would have turned it on. I would have turned it on earlier, but I knew Owen wasn't going to be on. No yeah. disrespect to, yeah, the the professional team at Premier covered. Sports one, of course. But I mean, like, listen, we're own boosters. That's what we are, Ken. But I'm here. I'm, I make no I'm, apologies. I'm for sitting that. down. I'm rubbing my hands. I'm thinking Manchester United against Brentford. You know, as an Irish, uh, as an Irishman <laughs> yeah. sitting here in our, an Irishman born and born and raised, yeah, born and raised, yeah. Uh, uh, sitting here in Ireland watching an Irish channel broadcasting a 3pm Premier League game and seeing that Manchester United are one of those games I know it's going to be Manchester United against Brentford but if somehow somehow Premier Sports thought that I would be more interested in watching Jewel six pack over there Chelsea against or Burnley rather against Chelsea yeah yeah, oh, I really, I didn't understand. I didn't Listen, text anyone. He's got other things to be doing. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't text him demanding an explanation, but I was puzzled. <laughs> you know, when you got when Manchester United have lost six out of ten, they're playing yeah. Brentford, right? You always beat them, and I know this is going to be <laughs> this is going to be a difficult game, right? I know this is going to be a real struggle for them. How can this not be the? Yeah. Anyway, I, I reluctantly sat down to, um, you know, eat up this plate of whatever it was mm. that Premier Sports had served up for me. Um, He's not here to defend himself. Burnley against Chelsea. Burnley, of course, took the lead. Uh, and then Chelsea equalised through deflection by, uh, off a sterling cross. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was, was it around that time I heard that Brentford had taken the lead at Old Trafford. Uh, that Onana, uh, of course, I've, I've, seen, I've, I've seen it all since. Mm. Onana had flopped over in the middle of his goal and allowed the ball to, to trundle past him you know and I thought well now it's it's good to see though that Chelsea at least uh, with their billion pound squad are getting it together enough here to, to overpower big Vince's mm. uh, Burnley who are are they still at the bottom of the t- they're, mm. they're down there um, and uh and, and then the, the the you know this the second half wore on and Chelsea scored a few more goals. They won the game four one in the end. And uh, couldn't help thinking about you know what was going on over at Old Trafford. Yes. Uh, and actually, there was there was at least one person um, who associated with this podcast was able to uh, take in those events live. Yes. And actually, we can hear from our correspondent respondent on the Stratford Day, <laughs> uh, Jamie Wall. <laughs> 
uh, in his voice note to you, sent yes. out 4.36 p.m.? 4.36, yes. 4.36 p.m. The score is Manchester United nil, Brentford 1. Thank God it's a fucking international break where I can fucking at least pretend to be surprised when we lose to fucking Greece and Gibraltar. Instead of this fucking bullshit. Bunch of fucking... <laughs> so, so there was actually... The way that he pronounced the last word there was so bad that we actually felt we had to bleep it out. There was too much venom. <laughs> there was. Fortunately, listen, I mean, he's got a he's got a big career ahead of him. And I, I just felt like we should protect him wherever possible. Especially because <laughs> what, what was going to happen after that, you know? Yeah. And at that point, Scott McTominay was still... On the on the bench, still kicking his heels on the bench, yeah. picking splinters, man. But on the eighty seventh minute, Eric Ten Hag turned to the man he tried to bundle unceremoniously at the door of the club. <laughs> uh, well, he already turned to one of those men, Harry Maguire. <laughs> another he turned, one. He turned to another of the men he had tried but failed to bundle at the door of the the great Manchester United football club, and he sent on Scott McTominay, and Scott McTominay proceeded to do the Scotland thing in the ten minutes remaining. 93 minutes equalizer, 97 minutes, 97 <laughs> minutes heading in the wing goal from a Harry Maguire cross, transforming another utterly abject uh, <laughs> performance. You heard Jamie Wall. I mean, <laughs> another abject performance. I got a couple of other voice notes as well that kind of gave, gave me a fuller, well, actually, didn't give me a fuller picture. It was just more detail. I mean, the one that we've just played for you did pretty much sum it up. I believe that he pledged to support Scotland in the forthcoming <laughs> Rugby International <laughs> out of fealty That's to... absolutely incorrect. Out of fealty right, now, to Scott on, McTominay. Hold on a minute now. You're putting words in the man's mouth. Well, look, it was it was amazing. Like, it was an incredible... Uh, you know, for, for, for McTominay himself, you know, it, the way that he's kind of been disrespected, mm. uh, and he really has been, and, you know, and... I, I say disrespect in the sense that, you know, I'm not sure. I, I think there's there's a lot of accountancy gone into the decision to try and bundle them out. You know, yes. it's, it's one of the pure profit accountancy yeah. things. Clearly, a player like that should not be sold by United. I'm not saying he's the best player or he deserves necessarily to be in the starting mm. team. But a guy like that who, his injury record's pretty good. He obviously is really into the club. I know that he, he also, I've seen him getting hammered. I mean, even for a game earlier this season, which game was it where he was playing the right of the diamond and oh he's nowhere blah 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 you know people are always going to have a go I just think this is the type of player that you want to have in your squad mm. you know and uh, and when he can score like he has been for Scotland and like he did in that game uh, against Brentford it sort of underlines his value and you know he, he talks afterwards about you know having he's watching the David Beckham documentary and oh it just shows how much in this club is everything to me and all this kind of stuff you know is he is he playing on the heartstrings a little bit I mean I thought it was interesting when Ten Hag came up to him after the game and if you saw the, the scene of Ten Hag coming up to congratulate yeah. him I don't think he looked at him yeah you know what I mean it was kind of like yeah cheers mate you know, maybe you'll think about me for the next game. Maguire obviously had headed in the, uh, you know, so it was a huge moment. It was one of the biggest, um, j just because of the turnaround. It wasn't yeah. like it was good performance. It wasn't. No. But to win after after being so bad, to kind of be redeemed in the last minute, it was one of the biggest last minute. I mean, they, they had, uh, McTominay had a big moment before, it wasn't the last game before the COVID breakdown when he scored against City yeah. from like halfway down the field. Um, so this was definitely his yeah. biggest moment since. Well, then, I mean, so. yeah, it's 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 a big moment, but it's also you know, it's Brentford at home, 
and the season it, it doesn't yeah but Brentford are, Brentford are quite a good team though. no they are and particularly when they absolutely don't feel the need to kind of set the tempo of the game or whatever you know they're more than happy to allow Man United to try and come on to them um, but yeah it's just it's one of those where um, yeah I mean it's it, it, it doesn't look like it's going to be the, the turning point of anything you know it might be the turning point for Scott McTominay's career at Manchester United alright but yeah. that might be the extent of the well you know it, it does impact. it's a significant uh, it makes a significant difference to where they are uh, in the league I mean without that they would be uh, in 14th place you know behind for, you know if it, had, yeah. if it had finished 1-0 they would have been behind Forrest in, in 14th place um, and they would have been after 8 games 7 points from place number 5 which is actually your Champions League target this season yeah um, because there's going to be an extra place so not definitely but like more than 90% likelihood based on the sort of co- coefficients at the moment uh, instead of which they're you know, only, uh, what is it, four points off fifth and eight points off the top, uh, which is Tottenham. Tottenham a little bit lucky against um, uh, Luton. Chidozi Benny, I'm not really sure what more he has to do to get an assist. It's yeah. like, can you really do more? He puts him on Terrible play. miss. Unbelievable oh. miss at the far post. This is Tottenham. Chidozi Benny was one of the players that, well, Basuma got booked for fouling him, like jumping on his back. Mm. Uh, and then Bissouma got himself sent off just before halftime for a dive. And at this point, he thought, well, this is, you know, Tottenham are in trouble. Uh, but actually managed to come through again. Uh, so they're top. Arsenal are second. Um, yeah, Arsenal, the it's not incompetence, it's corruption. We we discussed the it's not incompetence, it's corruption moment of the day uh, with the guys that coverage. I mean, obviously, coverage should have been sent off by McAlver. It's just yeah. crazy. I don't know. Crazy. What. Yeah. One of, one of a few uh, different uh, decisions, I think. Uh, a few players looking to stay on Bruno Gimaraes. Bruno Gimaraes was playing for Newcastle at West Ham. Um, West Ham who just have such a good team at the moment (laughs) I mean it's such an exciting team yeah and uh, okay actually Newcastle kind of outplayed them especially in the second half but like Newcastle bring Kudus off the bench and he scores a brilliant goal or West Ham of course bring Kudus off the bench and scores a great goal Um, you know uh, previously they made Nick Pope look very foolish Um, you were Nick Pope of course yeah with his I didn't realise that he had such a high elbowed Run, <laughs> you know? yeah, he did look a little ridiculous. He, he looked silly, didn't he? <laughs> he did. <laughs> oh no, I've been I've been dribbling around. Oh, I'm still <laughs> running. I'm keeping my feet. That wasn't that good practice. Yeah. Why yeah. do you look so tall? Yeah, I know. honestly, because he doesn't look that tall when he's like just goalkeepering, you yeah. know. But then put him running, and it's like, oh no, it God, wasn't. This is... It wasn't very cat-like no. movement. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, that was uh, that was that. What else? Bournemouth uh, looked like they might be going down under their brilliant new manager while Wolves under Bournemouth's ex-manager Gary Neal got from strength to strength Matt Doherty by the way got away with the funniest oh, <laughs> it was the funniest absolutely the funniest hilarious. of all the terrible refereeing decisions yeah 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 just a shove in the back of Ollie Watkins which is like how I mean and again and they, and they look at it and it's yeah, like yeah. oh that seems alright yeah like, <laughs> he just I mean sure if, if the man's not about to shoot then it's not much of a it's not much of a contact but I mean if a guy's about to shoot you just push him at the exact moment he's swinging his leg yeah, it's and, a, and like it wasn't even like a, a shove kind of like elbows tucked towards the, yeah, the chest bodies are close quick, you know like kind of push without your elbows moving too far from your body <laughs> it was really Matt Doherty's arm extends the full length of his arm and just pushes him it's just unbelievable 
unbelievable. Uh, absolutely, absolutely incredible. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, lucky, lucky. That. Now, what's the other, the other big news is John Eustace, Murph, is out at Birmingham. Oh, John Eustace. Former FAI employee, of That's course. That's the one. Carol, yeah. I was wondering if you'd remember John Eustace. Well, I mean, he left an indelible impact on Irish football. That's, I don't think there's any doubt about that. He arrived, he came in March, but by the summer he was gone. Like a comet streaking across the Irish footballing skies. Uh, he was, <laughs> he, uh, he, he replaced Anthony Barry. Yeah. And he, and he swore that he was going to be here for the, for the long haul. Uh, but then the job at Birmingham came up and he jumped ship. <laughs> he was meant to be the assistant manager at Birmingham to Warburton, who was then poached by David Moyes at West Ham, uh, Mark Warburton. So then the, they offered him the so job. So their number one left to become a number two. So well, our he, number two le- left to become to a number become two, a number, but then became but to, a number one. Yeah, he was going to he was going to job share. But now what's going to happen instead is who is com- who's coming in at Birmingham? Why the, the statement actually of Birmingham is kind of funny. Uh, it's it begins. This is the John Eustace is gone statement. It is essential that the board of directors and the football management are fully aligned on the importance of implementing a winning mentality and a culture of ambition across the entire football club. I mean, I would have almost taken that as as read, you know. Yeah. But for some reason, they've made it to the opening yeah. paragraph. With this in mind, Birmingham City has today parted company with head coach John Eustace, who we can only assume was opposed to the ideas of implementing a winning mentality and a culture of ambition. Um, Eustace departs after 15 months in charge, having helped to stabilize and strengthen the club on the pitch. In his first season at the helm, he guided the team to a 17th, 17th place finish securing Skybet Championship status with three games remaining. And the club would like to thank John for his contribution, blah, blah, blah. So uh, a new first-team manager will be announced in the coming days who will be responsible for creating an identity and clear no-fear playing style that all Birmingham City teams will adopt and embrace. The club will issue no further comment on this matter. At this time, it says, not on this matter, it says at this time. Who's the new manager? Wayne fucking Rooney. Wayne Rooney. Well, it, uh, this hasn't been confirmed yet, but this is all the talk. Rooney is uh, is going to go uh, to Birmingham. He's left DC United. He's going to become the Birmingham City manager. Who's going to be his new uh, assistant? Well, you're asking me, and you know, for the for the for the purposes of like narrative, I should be like, I don't know, Ken. Who should it be? But I've already heard, of course, that it is John O'Shea, apparently our John, number two. Apparently, John O'Shea, who who apparently is going to combine the roles. So again, we're. Job sharing. A lot of assistant managers just want to work all the time now. Yeah. Nobody wants to be the kind of assistant. I don't know if he's going to be the assistant manager or he's yeah. coach or or exactly what role uh, he's going to have, uh, or even if this is any of this is confirmed and this is speculative. But uh, it just seems like everyone just wants to do you know just why work why why would I do anything? Why have one work? job when you can have two? I've been gifted with this supreme assistant talent yeah. and I need to put it to use as many times as possible across as many different forms of, of football so good luck to everybody uh, as far as I'm concerned here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs coming off their parents plan or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Very pleased to say we can speak to the Liverpool manager, Jurgen Klopp, now. Joining us, what did you like about your team's performance tonight? Everything. Did I, did I hear it right? Mr. Keane said um, we had a sloppy performance tonight? No, only because I could hear you already. Did he say that? Cannot be this game. Sorry. Jürgen Klopp said the other day, but Man City had a break because of the virus when their game was called off against Man City. I think they missed two days training. They are making a lot of excuses to meet up in bad champions. This was a sloppy performance tonight. I just want to not only hear it, because I'm not sure if I heard it right, maybe he spoke about another game. But about this game tonight, there's nothing bad to say. Jorgen Klopp said there, maybe the goalkeeper's feet was cold. It's excuses after excuses. Talking about Liverpool, people keep telling me Liverpool's a great club and a huge club. Well, keep performing like that, it'll be another 30 years before you win the league title. No, can you hear me? Sloppy. Yes, I don't know. Yeah, look at the speaker, and only heard the word sloppy. That's in that game tonight, and then it was the wrong you need, one. But you need to hear the rest of it. Well, we're joined now uh, to talk a bit more about uh, Weekend's Football by Jonathan Wilson. How are you doing, Jonathan? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Very well. And by Lars Sivertsen. How are you, Lars? I'm good, Ken. How are you? Very good. And tell me, Lars, um, you know, without uh, Bukayo Saka, Martinelli only fit for the bench, Arsenal had lost 12 in a row to City. I don't know why everyone seems to forget the Charity Shield, which was five minutes ago. But now they are victorious. Is this a seismic moment? Are Arsenal going to bring it home? I think it potentially is a seismic moment. I think the confusing thing in terms of how to process it as a neutral is just how boring and unexciting the game was. It didn't feel seismic. It was just, uh, there's just not much going on in that game of football for such, I mean, so very, very long stretches of that game. Just huge Jorginho energy. There was uh, a, a lot of passes amounting to not very much. Two teams that weren't creating a lot. And then in the end, Arsenal had a shot going off someone's face and they won. So it just kind of doesn't feel um, too significant in that regard. But of course, it is very significant. Beating Manchester City always is. And in terms of those of us who hope we might have a title race here, um, you know, it could mean an awful lot. Yeah, sure. I did share that impression, Lars, in terms of uh, the game being kind of boring. Uh, I mean, obviously, the, it, it was it was tense. It had all that sort of uh, stuff. There was obviously a, a lot of stake in the game. But why do you think, Jonathan, that that was the case? Like, why, why did this not? Um, why did it not catch fire? It's not as though the players weren't taking risks. I mean, we saw Alvarez nearly tackle the ball into the net. You know, um, but so <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm not sure that was a planned risk, though, was it? That well, was, I, um... I mean, it is a planned risk in the sense that he's he's deliberately waiting until a Man City player comes to challenge him before passing the ball. So in that, in that sense, it is it is planned. I, I know that you were at the Brighton Liverpool game, and what struck me comparing the two games, and we will talk about Brighton Liverpool in its own section, don't worry. But is that 
th- there's kind of a similar philosophy that both teams were, or, or the teams in both games were using, but one game was super exciting and the other game wasn't. I couldn't really figure out what it was about the Arsenal and City game that wasn't um, wasn't doing it for me. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Brighton-Liverpool game, um, it was it was one of those games where I kind of wished I was watching it on telly because I, I felt I couldn't really see what was happening. That it was, it was all too chaotic and I wasn't far enough back to see the patterns. And all I could see was both coaches screaming at players. I mean, Klopp particularly screaming at Van Dijk in the first half. And I presume that was telling them how to react to, to, to pressing patterns. And so you had a real sense there's something really high level going on here that I'm too close to really understand and possibly wouldn't understand anyway. But there's something really high level going on here and, and the result is something incredibly exciting. But I, I think, I don't know, I, I get this sense over the last sort of two or three years that that decade we had when games between elite teams were incredibly high octane, huge sort of swings, lots of goals, really attacking, lots of space, that that started to, to dissipate, that we're going back into a slightly more attritional age. And it's it's not a universal process by any means, but I, I think one of the reasons the Champions League knockout phase last season was was much less exciting than we've become accustomed to was the sense that teams are just starting to learn caution or relearn caution. And I remember even uh, it's when uh, which year was it? Was it four years ago when Liverpool went to Bayern and drew nil nil? They ended up winning the second leg quite comfortably at Anfield. No, they, no they, it was the other way around. They, they drew nil all at Anfield and then won three one. Uh, oh, sorry, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah, you're right, yeah. The nil nil draw at Anfield. I remember Klopp saying afterwards, oh, "We just got to get used to this is the way football's going." And I thought that was a really sort of telling thing to say at the time because there really hadn't been any sense of football was going that way. But I, I, subsequently, I think you can begin to see it. Uh, I mean, if, you know, if you're asking me practically what happened in the Arsenal City game, I think you, you look at the two, you know, the selections they made, and possibly both conditioned to an extent by injuries. That so maybe if Rodri had been there or suspensions, if Rodri had been there, City maybe wouldn't have been so cautious. But the fact that they moved Alvarez wide, the fact they end up you know, Bernardo playing as their, their creative central midfielder with Kovacic. Um, and Enrico Lewis alongside him, so you know a pretty defensive three or two defensive players plus plus Bernardo there, and and Rice being pushed slightly further forward because of Jorginho being included, it just gives it that defensive aspect. The other thing of of bringing you know moving Alvarez wide is that both he and Foden tend to tuck in. So City were very narrow. Arsenal's fullbacks then played very narrow as well. So the game was incredibly congested. You know, Jeremy Doku made some difference, but not a huge amount of difference when he came on. So, yeah, the, the, I think the 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 sort of the 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 got the position, the, the the way that pressing game had gone five years ago was giving us very exciting football, and there just seems to be a bit of a reset. That where can people find an advantage? Where can they find the competitive difference? Well, if if they can actually be the ones who work out defend while doing that as well, then then, then that gives them a you know a, a, a huge. A huge advantage, uh, and I, I think you, know, you, you saw in the one game that more defensive outlook, and in, in, in the Brighton Liverpool game, this sort of crazy, confused chaos is brilliant to watch. Yeah, well, we'll we can get back to that theme of um, of teams learning to manage risk when we actually do talk about Brighton and Liverpool. But but in, in terms of this Arsenal game, I will say you mentioned Jorginho, Lars. Uh, he obviously mm. did feature in the game. Um, I guess the tactical. Uh, decision by Mikel Arteta. I have to say that I thought Declan Rice 
was magnificent in this game. You know, an absolute, no, really ab- absolute war elephant. I mean, maybe maybe he's better, you know, playing alongside someone like Jorginho to sort of do all that so he can just rampage. But um, I thought he really yeah. made the difference for Arsenal. No, it was that combination of having the physical presence to, to win challenges and break up play. And also he has this way of kind of accelerating away from, from danger with the ball and, and bringing it forward. It really was one of those, if you're... Um, Without sort of straying into to football cliches territory, if you do want, when people say someone, oh, he's a Rolls Royce of a player, do you think that performance was a good example of why people say that about uh, what does it like? What, what does it mean for you? Just just if you drill down into the Rolls Royce thing, I mean, beyond beyond just being expensive, what what does it mean? Good engine. I mean, yeah, like, I kind of interpret that as someone who's quite good at a lot of things, who's kind of reliable, who's powerful, who who is a, is of a very high quality all around. I British, think. of and, course. Uh, you, and we, yeah, we 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 kind of saw a lot of those uh, qualities in that game, and I, I do realize now it sounded like I was doing Arsenal down a little bit earlier when they said, "Well, both teams were bad," and then the shot went in off someone's face. I mean, that that is a bit harsh on Arsenal because they did do a very good job nullifying City. They're not that often Manchester City, whatever state they're in, play ninety minutes of football and have just four finishes like that. That that doesn't happen very much. Well, it's yeah, it's, never, it's yeah. never happened in the Premier League under Guardiola. That's the lowest they've ever had under Guardiola in Premier League. So. Yeah. Very, very good, uh, and uh, so and you have to you have to then credit Arsenal, of course, and and midfield for Declan Rice playing well, and and Jorginho, you know, when Jorginho got the first booking, just given what had happened with Kovacic, I was I felt pretty good. Well, well, actually, the, the Kovacic thing happened later, but given what happened with Kovacic, I was pretty. This had the dodgy second booking to Jorginho written all over it. I thought, but uh, but he he got through a lot of football without getting booked again, and it, it worked. Yeah, Kovacic, you, you both. You've, uh, I mean, yeah, you, you mentioned Kovacic. Um, we will get to him as well. Uh, but I want to put the VAR stuff in its own little section because it turns out we've got some um, some specialist expertise uh, on VAR but on the podcast today. Uh, we'll explain that uh, when we get to it. But just uh, on Arsenal, the thing that, that struck me, Lars, watching this was, was how panicked the Arsenal crowd were about Raya, particularly in the first half. And, you know, Arteta said after the game, you know, that he's seen players crumble in that situation. And, I mean, you know, or he didn't say crumble. What he said was, I've seen players just start kicking the ball anywhere, like basically mm-hmm. responding to the pressure. But, and I, you know, I mean, it, I guess people probably concluded he might have been, he might have meant Ramsdale was one of those players. But Raya has, has big ones and he stood up to it. What is your overall impression, though, of how Arteta is handling this? Because it seems to me as though by creating this sort of rotation debate, which turns out to have been just a, actually I'm just changing my goalkeeper sort of permanently situation. He's he's created a bit of unnecessary pressure around it, which uh, whatever about Raya handling it well yesterday and standing up to the pressure ultimately makes his job more difficult. Yeah, I, I do think that whole thing is strange. And I completely concur with you. It looks like he's just dropped Ramsdale now, this rotation stuff. I don't, you know, we're not quite seeing it, are we? No. And it's confusing to me because, I don't know, maybe people are better at judging goalkeepers than we can flag this up. And I didn't think Aaron Ramsdale sort of played himself out of the team last season. I didn't look at Arsenal and think, well, Ramsdale's the problem here. Well, he made a few, uh, he made a few mistakes, didn't he? I mean, there was um, there was a few sort of ragged moments. And even even this season, wasn't it, against Fulham where he, he, he got sort of... Pereira passed the ball by him because he, he kind of started running the wrong way and then oh, it wasn't it wasn't good. I mean they dropped points. It was there. slightly odd, but then if, again, if you look at the if you look at their stats, the thing where Raya massively outperforms Ramsdale is claiming crosses. 
So if you think last season, and Arteta, Arsenal, Arteta actually mentioned that specifically yesterday when he was talking about what a good, um, what a uh, a good performance Raya has had. He eats. No, I, I think it was. I think it's something like. Uh, I, th- I think Raya claims eight point seven percent of crosses and Ramsdale five point nine. If it, if it's not quite those figures, it's within one, be a point one or point two of those figures. And if you think back to last season. Arsenal didn't concede a goal from a cross-set play until the game away at Everton when they lost 1-0 with the Tarkovsky header from um, from that right-wing corner, uh, which was, I think, their 16th game of the season. And then in the remainder of the season, they conceded another four goals from cross-set plays. And I think yeah, you saw Brentford, for instance, at the Emirates, really targeted Ramsdale within swinging corners and in set plays. So I, I think there is a perception that Ramsdale isn't the most confident uh, under in swinging crosses and maybe maybe Raya is I mean, Raya's shorter than him I think he's two inches shorter but he does seem to be better at that yeah, uh, yeah there is also I mean if we're, if we're looking at slightly geeky goalkeeping numbers I mean there is a metric you could look at which is kind of roughly speaking the X, the XG of all the shots that come in that are saved um, fr- from which of course you can subtract the actual number of goals yeah. conceded and you can get a balance that's either positive or, or negative and, and from memory I think Raya's numbers were were marginally better than Ramsdale last season. So I can see how you look at Raya and think there's a slight upgrade there. But is it a big enough upgrade that you kind of upset uh, things? Because Ramsdale seems like a fairly popular member of the squad. And, you know, it is what it is. And But he there was another, I thought, pretty... He doesn't spread a lot of confidence at the moment, Raya does. So, yeah. uh, but but... but they didn't concede any goals because City didn't create anything. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the crowd is always sort of reacting this like inner psychic turmoil of the team. I mean, the crowd is like expressing the the fears that the team is trying to kind of manage, I suppose, you know, and you, you sort of hear that panic around the ground. I mean, I was thinking, I mean, Arteta had said, oh, you know, why can't I substitute goalkeepers? You know, when he, when he was kind of laying out his why I'm going to rotate my goalkeepers you know, in hindsight, fraudulent thesis. Because <laughs> he didn't actually mean to do it. He's like, why can't I just, why can't I substitute goalkeepers, you know, like I do normal players? And I was thinking, well, this might be, this might be the moment. But of course, it, it all worked out and it worked out great for Arsenal and they've they've finally done what they couldn't do last season. Maybe it will end up making a difference. City, though, I've lost two in a row for the first time since 2018. Um, it's actually three in a row that they've lost without uh, Rodri. Which, um, which I suppose actually four because the Brentford game last season was without Rodri. Four, okay, so their last four, they've lost their last four games without Rodri. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, it, it settles the um, who is the most important city player debate. I mean, Kevin De Bruyne has been <laughs> missing the whole season, and, and your boy, your boy Erling Haaland, Lars, is mm-hmm. is is a, is a shadow of himself. Uh, what I mean, uh, our city at this point, do you think Jonathan in crisis? Not in crisis, but um, they're. I mean, I don't. I don't even feel like they have a sort of Rodri dependencia, as people you know would talk of Argentina having the Messi dependencia. But it is striking that those those last four appearance, you know, the four games he's missed, are the last four games they've lost. And I think you do see that when he's not there, the back in midfield, you have to be slightly more cautious because he's so good at reading the game. I think he's also. He's actually the sort of player that you often don't find in Guardiola's sides, but somebody who has that sort of, I don't know, that briskness of purpose that he sort of you know, grabs the game by the scruff of the neck. So, for instance, when they conceded the equaliser to Sheffield United, who is it who then gets the winner immediately? It's Rodri. He, he's, he doesn't score many goals, but he tends to score that type of goal. Um, so I think they do miss that. I think they obviously miss the creativity of De Bruyne and the fact that Grealish is just coming back from injury. 
you know, they, they, they miss that, that, that they, they don't have that creative intelligence perhaps in the side either. I mean, we I mean when, you, when you look at their, it, it is striking actually, when you look at their sort of classic midfield lineup of, of the treble winning season, it's, it, it's probably people, I guess, would, would say it's Grealish, Gundogan, Rodri, De Bruyne and Bernardo, only one of whom featured in the game is. I mean, that's that's like a lot of major players to try and... Um, I mean, Grealish is sitting on the bench, obviously. I don't know what's what's going on there. But, uh, but like, it's... it's it's when you, when you basically change the entire unit, it's hard to... Bernardo was obviously playing in a different position from the one he usually did. That's going to um, uh, change the mechanism somewhat, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, the, that first... The first six games of the season... Well, they win them all, you sort of, and they win them all without actually playing that well. But you sort of think, oh, yeah, they're just clicking into gear. Uh, it feels like this very remorseless process. But then you actually look at who they played. Okay, they played Newcastle in that run. Um, and, but the, yeah, they hadn't really played any other top sides apart from Newcastle at a period of the season when Newcastle, yeah, we, we, I mean, I know they won the previous game 5 1 against Villa, but the, the, the games after that, they were in a sort of slight sort of, uh, slump. So I think they got Brighton, Brighton away. I say Brighton at home the first game after the international break. So, so they're they're two yeah big big. Well, maybe United away isn't that difficult these days. But well, you know, uh, two, it's, 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 two, I don't think it's ever going to be an easy. I don't think it's ever going to be an easy one for for City. I mean, they 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 lost it last season. Of course, it was a famous a famous moment in refereeing, but uh, they did lose that last season. Yeah, but then the two seasons before that, they won it pretty comfortably. So, I mean, and United played better last season than they're playing. Anyway, that's, that's a different issue. Uh, we, we were saying much this thing, the same thing this time last year. Of, oh, uh, you know, have they have they disrupted things too much by bringing in Holland? Um, I think mean, Holland's an interesting point now that, that he's only scored one in his last five, which you, for a normal player you wouldn't worry about. But for him, you start to think, oh, I wonder what's going on there. Didn't have a shot. Oh, what's going on there? Well, let's ask Lars first of all. But I mean, so he, he, the, the other stat about him is he didn't have a shot yesterday, which is the third time he's played for City when he didn't have a shot. The other two, the other two occasions being the Community Shield and the away game at Tottenham last last season. Well, Lars, how, how do you explain this? What's what's going? Where is it? Where did it all go wrong for Eddie Holland? <laughs> I think it's mixed uh, because I think in this little period where he hasn't quite been himself, it's actually been a combination. It's been different scenarios. Uh, he, he's looking. He's looking very frustrated to me right now, as someone who spends a lot of time watching Ellie Holland. I think he's frustrated with himself mostly, uh, and and if he's frustrated with his teammates, he doesn't really tend to express that a lot. But but what I was getting at is he had no shots in this game, no service whatsoever in this game, and really not a lot of of service against Wolves. I think he had one shot in that game as well. Yeah, but. At the same time, we've had the games against Leipzig where he missed a lot of chances, and we've had the game against Red Star where he missed a lot of chances. So it's a combination of a couple of games where the service has been sparse, but also in the games where he has had service, yeah, he's he's, he's in a little bit of a funk in terms of finishing right now. It's De Bruyne. It's, it's De Bruyne not being there. That's the difference. I mean, if De, if De, yes, if De Bruyne, yes if De Bruyne no. knows exactly the kind of ball to play for Holland every time, the link of last season was absolutely incredible. You know, he can just—he just plays exactly the right types of balls for him. You know, even the kind of angle that he passes the ball into the box that suits Haaland. You know, I mean, he plays the ball into the box from different angles. But if he's kind of playing the ball from the right towards the left, Haaland is left-footed. It kind of suits him to run onto it. It's like 
this is this this is the whole this is the whole problem with Ireland. This is the, actually the only visible sign of the bro- like it had been kind of surprising how 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 they shrugged off missing such a, a great player in the Bruyne, at least in terms of results. But in Haaland's like relative underperformance, I mean he still scored eight goals I think this season, which is pretty good. Um, that's that, that to me just seems like the main reason. So I, I completely concur that that has a big effect. And I think w- w- this discussion that Wilson Hills hinted at that we've had really since he came to City, Alling Hall, on, or in, bef- before the move was even mooted is, how does his style of play and what he wants to do actually mesh up with what Pep Guardiola wants to do? And there's always been a friction there because he wants the ball played early. He wants the ball quickly in behind, whereas Pep wants all these passes to build the right team structures and all the sort of stuff that he wants. De Bruyne is one of the players who I think has the authority on the pitch to just think, well, I don't actually care what Pep's plan is here. I'm yeah. going to hit it to Hall, and if he's in a good position. Completely. Whereas the other guys are just not going to do that. Uh, I, I think the other guys are more than good enough to execute those passes and to see them. But uh, but I think there's a sort of slight... De Bruyne maybe has the the yeah, the authority and the confidence to, to go against the plan a little bit, and that helps Holland quite a lot. But, but the thing I think is worth flagging up is that there have been games where they've created chances for him where his finishing hasn't been as sharp as it uh, previously has been in this period as well. So yes. there is a it's it's a double sort of a double edged uh, frustration for him at the moment. I think. But I, th- I think there is something something sort of broader going on as well that's interesting. That so I mean I, I didn't quite finish that point about you know, we were having this conversation last year because obviously come the spring there that twenty five game unbeaten run. Where they beat Bayern and Real Madrid and Liverpool and Arsenal by by three goals, uh, but what, what what struck me about the Newcastle goal, certainly the second half of the Newcastle game, and then yesterday's game, yeah, you know, the old way of beating Guardiola sides was to do what Wolves did: sit deep, have 30 percent of the ball, have a ball carrier. I mean, you know, uh, Pedro Neto, I think carried the ball. 215 metres in that game, which is ridiculous. You know, 130 is, is good. 215 is, is absurd. Um, you know, th- th- that's how you do it. That second half of the Newcastle game and the Community Shield to an extent, and then, and then uh, yesterday, they they matched them. It was, well, I think it was 49-51, the possession stats, 49 to Arsenal, 51 to City. Um, that as Guardiola's diversified, as he's gone to more orthodox centre-forward, orthodox-style centre-forward, as he's brought in direct wingers to try and counter the way teams counter them, he's made them a more normal team and maybe more normal solutions uh, are actually now capable of beating them. Now, obviously, that is all with the huge caveat when Rodri's back, when De Bruyne's back, it may go back to what we saw last spring. But at the minute, it feels they're they're just a very, very good team. They're not something extraterrestrial, which they had been. Yeah, and I think I mean he came on yesterday, but I think Stones being absent yeah, is a big been, factor been as well because that was always how how do we solve the Guardiola's teams has always had a striker who drops into midfield to create overloads. Okay, so what do you do if you no longer have a striker who can do that? Well, you find a defender who can do it from the other way, and that that was the sort of surprise tactical bit of genius from Guardiola last season, and that he hasn't been around for the last uh, last few few games, and I, I think that's also part of it. The whole midfield is is gone compared to last season. You you um, said something interesting about Alan there, Lars, which is that he doesn't express frustration with teammates. Um, yeah, I well, mean, rarely. Not, not that he had not that he had much to to be frustrated about last season, I suppose. But I mean, do, does it does it build up? Have there been explosive moments? Does he control it all with uh, his meditation, or uh, has, have there been times when he's uh, 
when he's uh, destroyed somebody for frustrating him. Listen, he's he's not a monk, uh, but but he, he is very good at when he's frustrated on the pitch. If there is a pass that's not exactly where he wanted it or something, he he doesn't talk back very often. He doesn't uh, uh, shout and wave his arms. He, he you can see he almost goes into a kind of a weird zone where he sort of he will. Uh, if you recall that moment, he was being hectored by Pep Guardiola when they were walking off the pitch at half time. Yeah, so, uh, that's exactly uh, what I'm thinking about. Yeah, he does that, and he does that on the field as well. You can see sometimes if a pass is slightly over hit or under hit or doesn't arrive, his facial expression is pretty similar to what it was in that uh, in that he just kind of tries to deal with it internally and and tries to not cause a scene. Yeah. Uh, but but his body language has never been very subtle. Like, this is something I've. Uh, for the book, I've, I've spoken to some former coaches and stuff. Uh, because, yeah, dear listener, unless you know, I, I do have a book on Alan Holland coming out next month. Before that, I did speak to people who who know him very well. And they what's, also what's the name? About, yeah, what's the name of that book, Lars? It's called Holland. Helpfully, Holland. The, okay, the, the, can't miss it. And what was the joke? Um, well, the, the joke that people make is that well, they, they very laugh about how unsubtle his body language is. <laughs> you can just kind of tell. You could basically be watching a game from the moon, and you can still look at his body language and see like whether he's in a good place or not. And 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 right now he is looking a little bit frustrated. But I think it's that's not him being annoyed with the team or, or anything like uh, controversial like that. I just think he's really frustrated with the fact that he hasn't scored as many goals as he wants to. Yeah, because I mean, imagine the pressure. You know, when you when you've sort of got the reputation of scoring, you know, one and a half goals a game. When you when you suddenly slump down to point seven or whatever, you know, you must feel like such a fraud. Sorry, just very briefly, since you mentioned the pressure, that's something I've thought about quite a lot because, you know, midfielders will be involved. You know, so many you have so many chances to do stuff in a game if you're a central midfielder. You know, however many passes you play, depending on the system of the team. Center halves will, will will go into so and so many fifty fifties. If you lose one, you just uh, I'll put a bit extra into the next one. You know, Alling Holland, his job is to hang around the front there and to sniff out opportunities, and he can have games when he has maybe just one or two chances to do something good. And if if his touch is just a little bit off, then his entire week was a waste of time, basically. And I I think the pressure of dealing with that is is quite significant, and I think he's someone who puts a lot of yeah he he puts quite a lot of pressure on on himself as well to succeed in those moments. Brighton, Liverpool, Jonathan, you mentioned uh, that uh, you were there and felt as though there was something really high level going on out there. Uh, I I thought this was such an interesting game. Like, it was exhausting to watch. Like, never mind to to play in. I mean, just in terms of the decision-making of the players, which uh, the the weird thing about the game is it felt as though every little situation, no matter where it was in the field, had the poten- it felt like it had the potential with one false step could, bang, there could be a goal almost immediately. I, it was, I, I can't remember watching too many games that felt that way. Certainly the, the game a bit later wasn't really like that. But it just felt as though this thing was constantly teetering on the brink. It was, it was a really interesting thing to watch. Yeah, and the fact the first three goals in the game so the first Brighton goal and the two Liverpool goals all came from turnovers that the, the team went on to score, didn't have the ball. They press, they win the ball back, they score or they, they get a penalty from it. Um, so it, it was never a moment where you could sort of relax and think, oh, well, they, they've got the ball, so you know we know what's happening because them having the ball was actually almost more dangerous than, than not having it. Mm. Um, it did settle into a slightly more... Familiar, you know, orthodox pattern. I, I think because the, the, the players got the players got tired. Really, like it's 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 difficult to keep that. Like I think mentally that that game would have been so draining. Like the first half, I've 
I, I've seldom seen anything like it. But the thing that kind of struck me afterwards is like the problem. I mean, the reason why it feels as though every moment is like a high wire, you know, oh, my God, if this goes wrong, we're going to let in a goal. Is that the defensive risks that are that both teams are taking by playing the system are insane. Like if you're yeah. if, if you're watching that as a coach. Like I was thinking about this uh, after the game. It's like if if you if you showed this game to a coach of twenty years ago, they'd be like, "What are they doing?" <laughs> like there's so many stupid mistakes. Like the, the each of the goals, the only one that wouldn't have looked like a a shocking mistake to like an old school, and by old school I mean relatively recent coach, is the the Liverpool equaliser when Dunk Dunk like hacked the ball into midfield. And then it came straight back, and Liverpool scored. But you had you had a goalkeeper going walkabout, right, <laughs> for like a ridiculous opening goal uh, under instruction. I should I should add, he's been told to told to do that, so like it's not even his fault. But it, it looks totally ridiculous. Then a goalkeeper passing the ball to a guy who's getting closed down right in the edge of his own box again, utterly ridiculous. And then a defender who pulls out of a. <laughs> pulls out of a clearance at the near post because he didn't want to score an own goal. I mean, this is nuts. And and that's actually most of the goals were as a result of the crazy risks that these coaches have imposed on their teams. Yeah, I was reminded, I, th- I think it was you who draw my attention to actually, the, the Jorge Valdano column where he said that teams now take more risks in their own box than the opponents. And it, it sort of felt like that. That I mean, that, that first goal was 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 ludicrous. That I mean, I think you have to blame Alisson slightly because I think he could have got back I think his positioning was wrong. You know, he, as he races back, he sort of stops too soon. Ra- races is a, is a generous characterization of what he was doing. I mean, he obviously yeah, was caught by surprise by the, yeah. by the loss of the loss of possession. Yeah, um, and, and it was very telling. I thought that when Van Dijk got the ball, he's not actually pressured himself, but the player he wants to play to, McAllister, has three players around him. Um, and so he, he he takes completely the wrong option by playing it there. But then I'm not really sure what the other option was. Give it back to Allison, maybe. But look, well, Robert, they, he had Robertson as well. But, like, Robertson, I mean, yeah, but maybe, they don't yeah. they don't want to just give it to a fullback um, because then that, the fullback in turn gets closed down, and then it's like oh, you know. So 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 that that's another uh, thing that would have struck them as weird. Like I, I don't know if you saw Carragher the other night on with Frank Lampard. Describing how Rafael Benitez like issued a fatwa against uh, uh, passes into central midfield, which Mourinho uh, obviously also didn't allow. You know what I mean? And why? Because like they get it and then they they come at you. And they, but now it seems like that's all they want to do is pass it into midfield. Yeah, um, and and I mean even the even the goal you're saying that old school coaches wouldn't tear the hair out. I think they'd be saying that. Hang on, why are so many Brighton players up the pitch? Yeah, how how can you clear the ball from from your own box to halfway, and somehow there's a six on four break? So even that is, but yeah, getting the players into forward areas in order to receive the passes out from midfield that also creates space. Um, so yeah, I mean the, I mean Brighton, I think. I think they've now conceded more than Luton, haven't they? I think they've got the fourth worst defensive record in the Premier League. They went into the game with the, with the fifth worst, um, and you can—I mean, you, you can—you can see why. Um, it, it was a really hard game to write about because there's just so much happening, and very hard to sort of process you know, what's going on here. Um, but yeah, it was—it it, just—I didn't. Yeah, you know, the, the point about Van Dijk as well. 
that I think the next time he got the ball, he ends up slicing it into touch. And Klopp is absolutely balling at him, um, trying, you know, trying to resolve that. So you know, Klopp clearly saw this as a problem, was trying to, to work it out. And I think when you can see, even if you don't fully understand the moves on the on the chessboard, when you can see the grandmasters sort of being agitated, moving things about, you know, that that gives you a sense of just what a what a high level it is. Yeah, it just on Brighton there. They have they've let in sixteen goals in eight games, which is crazy considering how insanely insanely well they've played. So the only teams who've actually let in more are the three in the relegation zone: Burnley twenty, Bournemouth eighteen, Sheffield United twenty two. Um, but in Liverpool, have only kept one clean sheet in the league this season. Is that right? Liverpool have conceded nine goals in eight games, and I can't remember a clean sheet. But I'll take your word for it that there's been one. Um, what did you uh, What did you make of this one, Lars? Uh, did you? I, I felt I felt it was one interesting thing about it was the extent to which Liverpool um, kind of changed their approach to play in the sense that they they were going to play this very patient cat and mouse. Uh, build up from the back game with Brighton, which halfway through the first half was looking like, oh, this is um, this is not going well. Brighton are actually much better at this than Liverpool are. Uh, maybe they shouldn't try and play Brighton at Brighton's game. Maybe it's time for long balls to Darwin. Um, how impressed were you with with uh, with how they uh, responded? And um, do you see them as a as a serious contender uh, this season with the title? I completely concur with Wilson. It was a, it was a deeply strange game to to watch, and and it did make me think of really both this and the second game. It's, it's just fascinating how much of what is now modern football, where teams will just voluntarily have the ball very close to their goal for very long periods of time, and and be kind of comfortable with this. And this, for me, being Norwegian, growing up in Norway in the nineties, Drillo is very much against everything we stand for. Has, Dr- has Drillo uh, spoken know. out about this? I mean, has he said what, what is this? What are these people doing to the game? Absolutely furious, yeah. uh, because of course the central thesis of Egil Olsen was that he believed that it's not; it's less important who has the ball than where it is, like how much closer it is to the opponent's goal, because yeah. you can always win it back. And having it in your own half is not worth doing; it's inherently too risky. Uh, he must be absolutely furious about it. Oh, uh, but um, yeah, so, so for me, it takes a while for my brain to sort of be at ease with what's happening uh, in 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 front of me. But but it was it was very entertaining, and I, I mean, Brighton are just a delight. I mean, you, you rattle off some some numbers. I mean, the the, the average Brighton game this season has contained four point six five goals, which is an absurd number. Yeah, I mean, thirty seven goals wait, wait. in eight games. <laughs> The incredible amount of goals in, in in this team because the, the, what they do when it works is really efficient and when it doesn't when teams catch them out and when they attack very quickly um, it does seem to be particularly teams that have a lot of pace up front that catch them out when they're able to do that transition very quickly because they do commit so many men forward um, it goes wrong in a very spectacular way so God bless them long may it continue I'm a huge fan of it yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, just on, uh, you mentioned, uh, we'll get back to Kovacic, I suppose. Well, I mean, I, I, this is the refereeing section, incidentally. And the specialist knowledge I can reveal that we have uh, on the podcast today is, is to talk a little bit about VAR. We've got here a Norwegian in the form of Lars and mm. someone who's recently been to Sweden in the form of Jonathan. <laughs> And, I mean, that's uh, expertise in its loosest sense. <laughs> well, you know, you've, you know, the, and and it turns out that Scandinavia is a is a is a hotbed of freedom, freedom. What what I describe as freedom football, uh, where they're 
um, where where uh, well in Sweden they they've never introduced the tyranny of VAR, and in Norway I understand uh, from an article by Nick Ames uh, today. Uh, uh, a resistance movement is is taking shape. First of all, just uh, can I ask uh, Lars? Uh, and I, I ask you because I know you hate talking about referees and think it's think it's the worst thing in football. Um, what was Michael Oliver, who recently was refereeing a game in the United Arab Emirates, thinking not sending off Kovacic? Well, I, I think the first tackle, the first yellow card, is one of those that, to my mind, is very close to a red, and I would expect to maybe be a red in other leagues. But you've you've seen them. You've seen them permitted in the Premier League many times before. I wasn't really expecting that to get overturned. Uh, maybe it falls under the dreaded let it flow directive. I don't know. But uh, that looked dangerous to me. But you're not really expecting them to be given in England because there's a, there's a threshold for what they seem to permit. Um, but the second one is just... Uh, well, well, for, for the... Um, for the second yellow not to be given is just mystifying. I don't have an answer to that. I, I can only assume he didn't... I mean. We we get into the realm of trying to read Michael Oliver's mind, and that feels like a dangerous road to go down. But I mean, it, it, all this stuff about not spoiling the occasion—I don't. Maybe he just didn't want to, to reduce one of the teams to ten men. Uh, it, it's a it's a mystifying decision because it's, it's an absolute. It's such an obvious second yellow, Ken, that I was half expecting Jurgen Klopp to want the game replayed. <laughs> yeah, I so I, I think what's what's happened. Sorry, Ken. But I, I think what's happened is the Diego Jota one the previous week created so much. Ferrari against it. I think even their own uh, review panel said the second one shouldn't have been a yellow. And I think we all agreed that the second yeah, the second one he got was worse than the first one, which for some reason they don't look at. So yeah, the Bruno Gamarish one at, at West Ham Newcastle. See, I think the Bruno Gamarish one, they were two sort of mid-range yellow cards, whereas I think Kovacic was like a light red and a dark yellow. That I, I just can't, I can't see how, particularly in the context of the first one, you don't give the second one. Bruno Gamarish, they're both sort of slightly cynical trips after the player's gone past him. Um, but I, 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 I think they both should have been yellow. I think it should have been red. But I think it's a much less egregious error than, than Kovacic. Yeah, I'll just, uh, can I just point out that Mario Lamina did manage to get sent off. Uh, I don't know if there was, an, maybe there just wasn't enough attention on his game, but uh, but even Jada's uh, sacrifice couldn't save him. He did actually get <laughs> sent off for two yeah, cards. But just on this um, Scandinavian thing, I mean, I, I talk to people who say, oh, you know, right. you're, oh, sorry, are you there? Yeah, no, sorry, it's off. I talk to, you know, I talk to people who um, who say things like, you know, if if you're against far. You're basically a dinosaur. You're a reactionary. You know, you're gammon. Um, you don't really. Yeah. You know, this is this is the kind of stuff. This is the kind of stuff that uh, kind of poisons people's spew. Now, uh, whereas I, I really don't see it like that. I, th- I I see this as a as creeping authoritarianism. That's why I, I want to bring freedom back to the to the pitch. You know, but uh, it seems that Scandinavia. Uh, shares my view um and in sweden john can you i, I mean i know you were over there recently and the, and the swedish league is in an interesting kind of place right now why have they why are they the only one of the top 30 leagues that refuse to uh, entertain this uh well i think it's i mean uh, I, I last may know more about why norway can't do this but um well i'm sure he does know more in fact but in sweden because the clubs are member owned 17 of the 32 clubs in the top two divisions have mandated their their club directors to oppose VAR if anybody ever tries to impose it. So they go along to the Swedish FA or Swedish league meetings and say, right, we're not we're not having it, we're not voting for it. Um, so unless UEFA come along and forcibly impose it, 
or say that you can't play in the Champions League, Europa League, Conference League, unless your domestic league has far. I don't think that's that's ever going to change. And and actually, I think a lot of the the clubs, um, I mean, a lot of the clubs, I think just like we don't really care. The fans want this; it's their right. I think some of the smaller clubs sort of think, you know what, it's, a, it's an expense we don't need. Why would we want to, to impose it? Um, but it, yeah, I think this, the, the fan culture in Sweden is is so focused on the in-stadium experience that it would make no sense. You know, the, the, they don't have the, the proportion of TV fans to in-stadium fans that, that you have in, in, say, the Premier League. And I think the, you know, the thing I hadn't sort of crystallized my mind till I was in Sweden talking to people about this and I have to say it was completely universal I didn't meet a single person who said we should introduce this whether fan or director or player or anybody they're all against it uh, and you know, even at the top clubs they're sort of well we've got to adjust when we play in Europe but you know so what um, and it hadn't really crystallized my mind to the extent to which the demand for VAR is from a television audience because if you're in the stand and I know I've had this discussion with Lars on a different podcast last week. Um, so I let Lars make the point he wasn't allowed to make then after I've made this. You know, if you're in the stand and a, a decision happens, you, know, you shout and swear about it. And then something else happens and you shout and swear about that. And maybe four or five hours later, you get home or you get to the pub and you see the replay and you think, oh God, that was handball or, or he was offside. But it's, it's too late, the game's gone. Whereas if you're sitting there watching it on telly, then you know, you know immediately because you get the replay immediately that you know that shouldn't have counted or that should have been a penalty, and so it feels a much much greater injustice. And also, of course, if you're sitting there on your couch at home, you're watching the replays, or you can go and make a cup of coffee or, or whatever. You're not just hanging around for four or five minutes for a man to look at a TV screen, pushing his fingers into his ear, and then give you a decision. Um, now, Lars quite rightly made the point that. These days, well, I mean, you, we've got large right here. This- yeah, I, I write. You can't reference a point I made off air on a different recording, Jonathan. That that doesn't do anything for anyone. <laughs> well, look, this uh, this is all getting very obscure. What was the yeah, point the you point made, and what was the point? Aspect. What was the point that was too hot for you to make the last time? The point that is, I don't disagree with anything Wilson just said, but the more pertinent point is that with the rise of social media and camera phones and better three, three and four and five G, is that it's no longer. The case that you go home and watch replays people people are watching replays in the ground so one of the reasons i think a lot of people kind of accepted that some kind of video technology should be brought in is that when there's a controversial incident the referee is the only person in the stadium who doesn't have access to a replay you've got like 50 60,000 people on their phone going oh yeah that's what happened and the referee just doesn't know and then that just kind of felt a bit silly at the time and, and I would also say I was at uh, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium for the the, the, the scandalous, scandalous oh, offside thing. Yeah, yeah. And it, my experience of being in the ground was like, well, I saw it and I thought that looked a bit tight. Uh, but then the decision was made and we kind of moved on. Whereas it was actually on, on television, people were just droning on about VAR endlessly throughout the afternoon. So in the stadium, you just kind of, you well, certainly my, my mentality is I just kind of accept the decision and move on in my head to what's next in the football match. But I might be a little bit different, uh, I guess, in, in that regard. What what do you think about this uh, situation in Norway, uh, Lars? I've just been reading Nick Ames today. And so Norway did introduce FAR, uh, but now uh, some fans are getting together and saying, hey, you know, what's going on here? The Swedes are, are once again lording us over. They live in freedom, whereas we... Uh, yeah, we are in slavery here, uh, and this isn't on. I mean, do, do your hackles raise as a Norwegian to see the the Swedes um, sort of swanning around 
the way they are now, boasting about it. They are less. It's another case of, without getting completely into the weeds, things are a little bit strange in Norway because the football football clubs in Norway are member-run. But this is now the second big issue where a lot of very, very vocal fans, and it can be hard to judge how many of them are just very loud on the internet and how much it is a grassroots movement. But my my impression is that it goes for a lot, a lot of people are super against this, just like a lot of lots of lots of people wanted to call for a boycott of Qatar. And and, and in both instances, the the, um, the the clubs and the FA just kind of kind of ran it through the process anyway. And it got, uh, you know, the vote for the Qatar uh, boycott was, was defeated at the General Assembly. And, and, and VAR has been sort of swiftly introduced, seemingly uh, without really consulting the stakeholders, as is the uh, business uh, phrase for it, but without talking to fans, without asking what they really want. It was introduced. And they even introduced a sort of slightly more rubbish version of VAR. There's just not that many camera angles, and it's it, it's not just VAR. It's a bad version of VAR that's been introduced, and it's not really made anyone any happier. Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose that's that's been a common experience. Uh, unlike this conversation, I'm sure it's made a lot of people happier, Lars. <laughs> it's been great. It's been great having you on uh, this morning, and also Jonathan. Great talking to you too. Cheers. Thanks. People call them rats because a rat will do anything to survive. Isn't that right, Mr. Hill? Objection. I would not give Real Madrid a rat's chance against Chelsea. Yeah, you didn't give them a rat's chance. If, if, they, if they get through against Chelsea, uh, Owen, I do not give them a rat's chance. Okay, there's yeah, a rat. Rat's chance. Yeah. No, no rat's chance. Kamavinga searching for Benzema. Who's it in the goal of back? It's I just don't see it. <laughs> Still, come on. Right? I will not give Real Madrid a rat's against chance. City. Not a rat's chance. Up with you eventually. I don't believe in magic. I believe in reality. I believe in material reality. Here comes Benzema. Sai puts the ball in. I don't know nothing about being a rat. Mr. Hill, you know everything about being a rat. I thought they would lose to PSG. They beat PSG. I thought they would lose to Chelsea. They beat Chelsea. I thought they would lose to Manchester City. And really, they should have lost to Manchester City. And what about Liverpool then? Are you giving them a chance against Liverpool? No. We should also mention that after the FAI Cup semi-finals this weekend, Ken, we have another St. Pat's Bulls Cup final to look forward to. You were there at the last one. We all remember how that one turned out. Yeah. <coughs> on a related topic, we also saw a shirtless Kevin Brannigan on Richie Sadler's social media this weekend, live from the prom in Salt Hill, which I have to say is not what I expect or indeed want to see when I log on to Instagram.com. Well, I mean, you could only see their heads sticking out of the water. <coughs> no, there was another oh, there was haunted more. image. Oh, right. We could see Kevin Brannigan's... Well, nipples. I don't know that anyone wants to see that, Ken. I mean, fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, on that bombshell, thank you, Ken. Thank you, Kieran. Thanks a million for listening. Join the World Service if you want to hear the podcast ad-free and without interruption. And don't forget, the Second Captain's podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Captain's World Service. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sports is important. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.